Thanks for downloading this podcast from RNIB Connect Radio. You're listening to RNIB Connect Radio. It's the morning mix with me, Jill Barkley. Now, joining me in the line is our goddess from California. It's Maria Johnson, our girl gone blind. How are you doing this week, Maria? Oh, excellent. How are you, Jill? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I can't actually believe we're almost at the end of the week already. I know, I know. And almost to the end of October, even. Oh, don't, don't. It means we're too close to Christmas. It's not that I don't like Christmas, Maria. It's just, it's the lead up to Christmas I don't like because it's exceptionally busy. There's presents to buy. Everybody's talking about Christmas right now. And I just want to wave a magic wand and for it to be Christmas. Right, right. Or the the folks who on, you know, Facebook say, oh, only 10 weeks till Christmas. I just want to shoot them, you know, (laughs) just shoot them. Well, let's get well away from the subject of Christmas for now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure that's to come over the coming weeks. But uh, today we're talking about the acceptance of a white cane. Now, you wrote a fantastic blog. You've written a couple of really, really brilliant blogs, Maria, about the kind of feelings you had about first using a cane. And there are four different stages of acceptance in your mind, isn't there? Yeah, you know, being... Uh, that I just lost vision a few years ago. It's still very, very fresh in my mind what it was like when I was basically told I was going to have to use a white cane. And let me tell you, I did not take that very well at all. I didn't either, Maria. I have to say, I did not want to use a white cane. And I think it was because I was 19 years old. I had never had experienced any kind of sight problems. And all of a sudden, I felt very, very scared of being alone with what was effectively a stick. It is a white stick. And honestly, some people don't even know what it means. I mean, as weird as that sounds, I've had people, you know, just kind of look at me like, where are you going? What are you doing? And, and, you know, cause they're close enough that I could kind of feel their body language. And I'm like, hello, it's a white cane. It means you better watch out for me. Some people have told me, can you put your stick over here? I'm like, it's not a stick. If it was a stick, I'd probably hit you with it, but it's my cane for God's sakes. It is one of those situations, Maria, that sometimes you wish you could set people down and just say, look, I'm going to explain something to you. And um, you know yourself that the majority of people will know the symbolic nature of a white cane. But, but at the same time, there are people out there that don't. And that can be most frustrating. There is, there is. And that kind of, you know, sets the tone for when I was first introduced to the idea of a cane. I didn't know anything about a white cane. I mean, I barely knew what it was like, you know, becoming legally blind, because I didn't have any blind friends. I didn't have any friends who used a cane. I'd never I'd seen maybe one or two people use a cane. And, you know, there's that stigma out there about folks with the white cane. The ones you see in movies, they usually look a little crazy. They've got these, you know, really horrible looking dark glasses on. They're whacking the cane left and right. And that's the image I had in my mind. And I'm like, I am not like that. So I was going into denial right away. I was in denial, denial, denial. I love denial. And it was, I'm not that blind. I don't need a cane. I was terrified of the cane. I was absolutely terrified of it. I did not understand for one second how I would get about using just this long white cane and then I was told that unless I was prepared to use it 
I wasn't going to get guide dog training. Now, I don't know if it's the same nowadays, but I mean, this was 20 years ago in Southern Ireland. So I had to go on long cane training. And I remember the first time I went out in the car with my trainer uh, saying to him, you know, I'm not going to use this stick. And he said to me, I tell you what, he said, let's come to a little deal right now. You don't call it a stick. I won't call it a blind dog. And I went, right, okay, <laughs> so it's like this, is it? And, uh, yeah. you know, I have to say, those two weeks where, where I went away for residential training to learn how to use this long cane, I was honestly in my element. I had such a good time. It was a ball. My trainer was fantastic. And actually, although I never really used the cane because I was still frightened, I have to admit, Maria, I never used mm-hmm. it. But it was a means to getting a guide dog for me and so invaluable. People ask me all the time, you know, when are you getting a guide dog? When are you getting a guide dog? Because, you know, every blind person has a guide dog, which is not true. But, you know, nowadays you do have to be proficient in using the cane and with your mobility and orientation um, before you can even get a guide dog. Because if your guide dog get sick or for, you know, is not, you know, available that day for whatever reason, um, you have to be able to go back to the cane and be able to use that with some sort of expertise. So, but going back, you know, the denial phase is one of the first phases of cane acceptance. And we just talked about that. You start to consider it like, hmm, maybe it will give me some independence and maybe it will improve my quality of life. Maybe it will help me like it's helping all the other people that are using white cane. And that sits with you for a while. And that's how it happened for me on on the second stage, which was considering the cane, is I listened to what other people were saying. And they were getting out and about. They were enjoying life. And I wasn't. And what was the difference? It was the white cane. That was stage two. It was, hmm, maybe I'm missing out on something here. My goal was just to be able to go out and about and enjoy life and be able to get around with confidence. That's what I really wanted. I wanted my independence back. So I decided to try it. And that is my stage three, which is try it. And that involved me making that phone call to an orientation and mobility specialist, an O&M trainers, which is what they call them here, and say, hey, hey, I think it's time for me to learn the cane. So she brought me like four or five different canes for me to try. Who knew there were like all these different ones with different tips and different lengths. I mean, I just thought there was one, one size fits all, but clearly it's not that way. And, you know, she didn't force it on me. And I was like, yeah, we're done after about 20 minutes. I I need a break. So that next phase, that third stage was trying it. And I did continue to do mobility training from that point on because I knew that was my only way to get out and feel confident and safe or as safe as you're going to be with a cane um, out and about in public. I knew that's what I needed to do eventually. So I just got to do it. Well, you know, it's it's such a kind of brave thing to accept that as well. And yes, the great fun that I had with my trainer, he was brilliant and really, really instilled so much confidence in me. But it doesn't take away from that first time you're out on your own with that white cane and nobody at your back to, you know, check that, you know, you're not going to fall off the pavement or you're not misjudging things. And, and I think that was the scariest part for me. Here's where... I took a turn in my thinking was my doctor said to me, and we had a really great relationship. He said, Maria, it's not all about you. 
And I was like, uh, what do you mean it's not all about me? Because yes, it is. He goes, it's not all about you. This cane is also to help other people know that you are visually impaired, that you need maybe a little bit wider area to make your way through. They need to move out of your way because you very possibly will not move out of their way. And also so that the people you're with can also not be pulling you and pushing you and moving you around other folks. So that cane will speak for you as well. And then the next key thing he said to me was, and you don't have to use it all the time. And I was like, really? And that's what brought me to my last stage, which was accepting the cane. When I fully understood the value and what that cane could do for me was when I could accept using it. Now, I will say, I still cringe when I pull out my cane. I still think people are staring at me. I still think people might be pointing or going, oh, look at that poor girl, you know, or, you know, because I don't really look blind. But then I whip that cane out and they're like, whoa, what, what's wrong with this picture? Do you know, that's not unusual, I'd imagine, Maria, because, you know, I still feel kind of a bit strange, not to, even though I'm out every day with my dog. You know, there are times where I go out and I think, gosh, you know, and it, it, sometimes it can just be because it's maybe a bit windier or it's pelting down with rain and there's something that just kind of rocks your confidence a little bit or scares you a little bit and that's that's 20 years on Maria so I completely get what you're saying. Yeah. And I I talk to a lot of folks who are newly diagnosed as, you know, legally blind. And I'll tell you, accepting that cane is very, very difficult. It's, it's like giving up driving. You're giving up your car for a cane almost. And I know folks who don't use one at all, who have, you know, partial sight like myself, but I also know folks who it, they carry it all the time, like hundred percent of the time. So I'm kind of an in-between. I always have it with me. Uh, Because I do not want to be caught without it in a very busy situation or or a place where I need people to know that I'm visually impaired. Um, But, um, you know, it's definitely different than, you know, having a guide dog. No one comes up to me, Jill, and says, oh, my gosh, what a cute cane you have. Can I pet it? Yeah, nobody, nobody does that. Nobody. The cane, I don't snuggle up with my cane. It doesn't kiss, <laughs> lick my face. You know, I have been thinking about applying for a guide dog. Um, and maybe I will someday. And I, I've been talking to more folks like you, Jill, and others who have guide dogs. And, you know, they just say their life has just changed dramatically once they made the switch from a cane to a guide dog. And, um, you know, it is in the back of my mind. So, you know, maybe someday I'll give up my cold cane for a nice, warm, fluffy dog. So I don't know, maybe someday. Well, do you know something, Maria? I have to say, it doesn't matter what kind of mobility aid you prefer. Uh, talking to you, I know that you just value it for, for what it's given you and the mobility and the independence it's given you, just as I value my guide dog. So everybody's different. And who knows? I mean, one day you might be using both. So uh, not at the same time, I hope. But, you know, you might be using both. And uh, even if you don't, well, your white cane means the world to you as my guide dog means the world to me. So there's no right and there's no wrong. But I'm so grateful for you joining us here in the program today to tell us all about your experience. And I hope that if people have been listening at home and they're maybe thinking about, uh, you know, a mobility aid or maybe they've been put off white cane training or training for a guide dog then they'll really kind of 
understand just what it's done for our lives and how they've changed and yeah just how brilliant they are thank you so much for sharing that with us oh you're so well and and that's one of the reasons I write blogs uh, like this that you know we kind of talked about today and I pulled some of the points off of it's because people need to know that as I've said before many times they're not alone that there's other people that think the exact same way as them in our situation. And I also, at the end of this blog, I really emphasize that when you're ready for cane training is when you're ready, not before. Don't let anybody force you to do it just when you're ready. And it takes time. It takes a lot of time to learn the ins and outs of the cane. So I ended the blog with a little bit of an uplifting note that when it's their time, it's their time and it's no sooner and they'll get to it and not to worry. Without a doubt. Do you know something, Maria? I love reading your blogs and uh, I do urge anybody who hasn't given them a go yet to get on there and uh, read what Maria's writing about because it dates back to when you first lost your sight. They've been on the go for about three years now and they are just so inspirational. The good, the bad and the ugly side of sight loss. So Maria, thank you so much for joining us. If anybody wants to read your blog, what's the best way to do so? Well, you can find my blog at girlgoneblind.com. You can find me on Facebook at Girl Gone Blind and also on Twitter at girl underscore gone underscore blind. And we'll be sure to put a link up to this particular blog when we uh, put it out there for the, the whole world to hear after we uh, get off the line here. Fantastic. Maria, thank you so much. And you have a great week over there in California. We'll speak to you again next Thursday. All righty. You too, Jill. Talk to you soon. For more downloads like these, visit rnibconnectradio.org.uk slash podcasts.